I don't see any point in trying to equate one evil with another or to assign some stupid scale of values. They're both awful. William Styron, Sophie's Choice. Hello, everybody. Yes, it is time for another episode of Felonious Pundits. I'm Kintad Svensgaard, and along with me, as always, please say hello to our good buddy, AJ Mass. Why, hello. It is I, your good buddy, AJ Mass. Excited to uh, dive into another episode of that fine show we call Criminal Minds. Yes, folks, that is what we do at Felonious Pundits. We talk about Criminal Minds. We recap an episode each week, take an in-depth look at it. Uh, I have never seen the show before. AJ has seen the show plenty of times. He is our grizzled veteran, if you will, of the Criminal Minds scene. Uh, And this week, we will be profiling Season 2, Episode 7 of Criminal Minds, which is entitled... North Mammon. North Mammon, AJ. Yes, not South Mammon. Do not get confused. We hate <laughs> <That's>, South Mammon. <laughs> that is correct. Uh, this week's episode was written by Andrew Wilder and directed by Matt Earl Beasley, uh, a familiar team from the show. And uh, it originally aired on November 1st, 2006. AJ, on the date that this episode aired... Apparently, it was still a special week in November, according to TakeMeBack.to, as people in the U.S. were still listening to Moneymaker by Ludacris. (laughs) Jeez. (laughs) Also, on this date, Sophie's Choice writer William Styron passed away from pneumonia at age 81. Oh, man. He's ironic, uh, I guess. He didn't like what they did with (laughs) this episode. Uh, I'm just very, I'm very, you know, we'll 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 get to uh, all the things that happened in North Mammon later on, but uh, I'm just very upset that this episode did not air around Christmas time because it's our first episode with Noel. <laughs> oh man, I I I wanted to write that joke, but I let you do it this week. That was a good one. Hey, that was a good one. After last week's episode, though, we're definitely getting a feel-good episode, right, AJ, to cleanse the palate, uh, if you will, <laughs> a a nice, uh, easygoing episode of Criminal Minds, right? Oh, I am pretty sure we're not going to get a feel-good episode of this series <laughs> for another eight to nine seasons. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, after uh, your quiz last week and uh, after watching this episode... I definitely got some strong movie vibes out of this episode. Um, I sort of equated it with a, a movie that uh, I never saw. <laughs> of course, I'm talking about Friday Night Lights. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure, sure. <laughs> That's exactly where I was going with this. Well, uh, Gideon's Eyes, Full Garcia Can't Lose, something like that. <laughs> All right, so let's get into this recap. We open our episode in beautiful North Mammon, Pennsylvania. It's nighttime. 
<laughs> we get one of those shots panning over the town and get sort of a full view of the town. We see like a flashing red stoplight uh, over the street. There is a a big sign saying, go devils. And then uh, we also are hearing the sounds of a crowd starting to pick up a cheering sports type crowd. Uh, we see an empty football field, but then immediately the camera pans over to the school that's near it. And we see that they are in the midst of a bonfire pep rally type of event. We see the crowd loving its football coach. The coach is shouting 13 and 0, 13 and 0. And uh, he's giving a typical inspirational coach type speech. Yeah, I mean, I, uh, I have to say, uh, having a son <laughs> currently who plays for the marching band at his high school, uh, not not a very good football team, but they have made the playoffs the last couple of seasons. Um, and I see the attendance for this middle-of-the-road, mediocre football team. There are not a lot of people in this bonfire. I'm sorry. This is even for a small town football team. I'm like, did nobody really show up? They want to get 50 extras for this, 75 tops. Well, uh, my guess, AJ, is that everyone was at home and decided to listen to it on the radio because <laughs> yeah, well, there is that. <laughs> Apparently, it's on the radio. We cut to three girls in a car, and uh, I'm just guessing their names right away. I'm gonna say it's Kelly, Michelle, and Beyonce. <laughs> They're listening. I, I I try to be diverse when I name my characters. Yeah, well, they, uh, I don't think they can handle this. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Uh, they're listening to the rally on the radio in the car, and they're talking normal young person crap about a rally as one might expect, but yet they're still listening to it. The girl that's driving the car, uh, she has a cough. Seems like she's sick, maybe. But uh, she thanks the other two girls for hanging out with her. Apparently, her dad is out of town. So they're going to hang out at her place, have a pizza party, that type of thing. They drive back to her house. They've switched the radio station. And it's that old hit from KT uh, Tunstall, Suddenly I See, which uh, I hadn't thought about in years. So it was kind of fun to hear that. Um, they pull up to the house. The driver throws her keys to one of the other girls whose name it turns out is Polly not Beyonce. Uh, she tells them to go in because apparently she's got to pull the garbage can back to the side of the house. A chore. I would say a lot of people are familiar with having to do, uh, especially once you have a home of your own. Yeah, uh, that's my chore. That. So <laughs> Perhaps it's your chore just in case uh, the, the truck comes by, you can jump on in, depending on how you feel on exactly. that day. <laughs> Take me. Yes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, she's done that. She's about to go into her back door. But all of a sudden, <laughs> I shouldn't be laughing because it's it's kind of a scare. Um, and by the way, there was no foreshadowing music playing here. So it was actually more of an effective jump scare than I usually get on this show. But uh, all of a sudden, a rope, uh, you know, tied up like a lasso flies out of nowhere lands perfectly around her neck, starts to choke, and pulls her backwards. <laughs> yes, one might say she got noosed! <laughs> we then cut to the other girls, and they're entering the front door, so I guess it took them a little bit of time to to fiddle with the keys at the door, because the timing was kind of funny there, how they're entering. 
<laughs> yeah, what you didn't realize is that actually uh, the first girl was a janitor. <laughs> <laughs> she got a ring about 150 keys that they got to try. So uh, finally, they're, they're entering the house at the front door and the one we've identified as Polly uh, says to the other girl that she's going to go take a shower as you do first thing when you go to visit a friend's house for a pizza party. <laughs> but okay, <laughs> I get it. They, they're they soccer players, whatever. Okay. Yeah, eventually we learn this, that they're all in the soccer team together. So they're coming back from their own practice. It does make sense. Yes. <laughs> but uh, so she goes to take a shower. And the other girl goes to take off her sweater. She's wearing her soccer uniform. She sits down with the pizza box, turns on the TV She hears the noise of someone uh, entering the house who she assumes is her girlfriend. And she shouts out for a garbage girl not to forget to wash her hands. And then then we cut to the shower. Polly is finishing up her shower. So a little bit of time has passed. We can see shadowy figures through the shower curtain. um, But she probably has her eyes closed or whatever. You know, like when you're getting out of the shower, you don't really notice that. She opens the shower curtain and uh, our soccer girl is standing there, but so is our masked unsub, and he is holding a big old knife against her throat. Uh, and he says, with what I thought was a very Michael Emerson-sounding voice, Do what I say, Polly, or Brooke and Kelly die. Hey, uh, Kelly, I got one of the names right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> one out of three. So, Much like your tribute is uh, skill. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Let's go for one out of three. Uh, so he tells her to get dressed. And then we cut to a creepy looking cellar or basement room that's been converted over to a dungeon. And I'm kind of surprised how many people on Criminal Minds have these like dungeon type rooms uh, available to them. But uh, <laughs> in fairness, we're, we're he does have dealing them. with unsubs. So I, I suppose the percentage of unsubs who have underground dungeons at their disposal is probably a lot <laughs> higher than Gen Pop. <laughs> true, true that. So Brooke, who was our driver, apparently, a.k.a. Garbage Girl, she starts coughing again. They ask her if she's okay. And Polly wants to know if she told him their name because he called them by their name. So they figure out from that that it's someone that they know who has taken them. They do the usual freaking out that you would do in this situation. They agree that when this dude is coming back, they're going to all attack him together. He can't take them all on at once, etc., etc., They're going to fight him with everything they got. Brooke starts coughing again, and Polly's like, are you sure you're okay? And Kelly screams out, oh, God, what does this guy want? And, of course, he's standing right there by the door. So he answers. (laughs) He says, to choose. And they're like, what the what? And he says, in in a creepy jigsaw-like fashion, two of you will leave this room alive, and one of you will die. You choose. Um... They understandably freak out to this news. And then we go to our uh, Gladini-less credits. Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds, Criminal Minds. It's Criminal Minds. Which is really disappointing, actually, because I was kind of hoping they'd go, We don't need another hero. Three girls enter, (laughs) two girls leave. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We're referencing a lot of movies with this particular uh, You said it was like a movie. (laughs) Yeah, it was. It was. It was. 
We cut back when we come back to the uh, famous Quantico elevator vestibule and JJ is out there to meet somebody and a woman gets out of the elevator and JJ introduces herself to Mrs. Homefelt and the woman thanks her for meeting her and JJ says, well, my aunt says it was an emergency and Mrs. Homefelt gives her a picture and says, yes, she said to give this to you. And it's a picture of JJ and two other girls uh, also in soccer uniforms. And she says, you played soccer? And then the woman shows JJ another picture and it's Polly, Brooke and Kelly. And she says her daughter, Polly, plays soccer, got a scholarship to Penn State. And JJ's like, "Uh, what in the Nittany Lions are you here for? (laughs) My aunt didn't explain. Mrs. Homefelt explains that the three girls have been missing for five days and nobody is looking for them. She knows someone took them, but no one believes her. She pleads for JJ's help. And of course, JJ is going to help, right? Well, of course, she's JJ. I mean, she's uh, certainly played on her heartstrings enough to say, all right, I'll take a look at it. <laughs> right. And, and we cut immediately to Hotch saying, well, you know, basically, you ain't following the rules. There's there's ways to do this as much as we might want to take this case. We have to be invited by the local authorities. And uh, JJ's like, bam, I called the local chief. He faxed an official request for our assistance. And I'm just like, Hotch, you playing checkers <laughs> while JJ is playing chess. Like, she, she already got this uh, covered. Like, she knows the rules inside and out. She's going to bend them if she needs to. But she's like, oh, I know we need to be invited in, which is why I suggested they invite us in. <laughs> Exactly. She goes right into explaining the case. She has her video ready to go. (laughs) Um, She's saying, uh, so Brooke Chambers, this is her here. Her father, Peter, left her home alone for the weekend. Polly Homefelt and Kelly Seymour were sleeping over Saturday night. Uh, And at 935 during the town's pep rally, both Kelly and Polly called home and she plays a phone message And we hear uh, Polly saying, it's me. I know this is last minute, but please don't be angry. Brooke, Kelly, and I are going to take off on a road trip for a few days. Sort of our last adventure before graduation. We'll be back Friday night. Love you. Bye. And then JJ says Kelly Seymour left this message on her parents' machine 44 seconds later. She plays it, and it's basically word for word the exact same message that Polly left. JJ says both calls were made from Brooke's cell phone, which has now since been turned off. Uh, Garcia is there. She says there's been no activity on phones or these credit cards that they have since last Saturday. And Hotch notes, well, it did sound like the girls were reading from a script. And Garcia, she can't use the cell phone to track them since it's off but she has uh, an open trap on the phone, so she'll be able to track them if it does get turned back on. Morgan says, look, isn't it possible these girls just went on a road trip? And JJ is adamant that that's not the case. She knows these types of girl because she was this type of girl, AJ. They don't smoke, they don't drink, they would not jeopardize a Fulbright scholarship by cutting school. And Morgan's like, okay, okay, we good, we good. (laughs) I think he knows not to fight uh, with JJ. JJ, don't you understand how this works? I I sit here in the meeting and I go, why they call us in here? (laughs) (laughs) This is what I do. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, 
Morgan's like, but it has been about five days. So there's a chance <laughs> we won't find these girls, dot, dot, dot. Uh, and Gideon says, no, 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 I, I don't think you're right because... Reed points out because of the phone messages. They said, I'll see you next Friday. And Gideon's like, why be that specific? My guess is that we have until Friday to find them. That gives us two days. And JJ's like, so are we taking this case? And Gideon nods at Hotch and Hotch says, uh, yep, wheels up in 30 minutes. JJ looks relieved. She goes and gives a little nod to Mrs. Homefelt, who was sitting outside the conference room waiting on them. Um, and then she passes by the monitor, which has the picture of the three girls up. And then we see that they're in front of Brooke's house. Then in kind of a twist on our normal travel by Kodak, the image of the three girls fades out. And now we're at the house slash crime scene. Little twist. <laughs> you can't keep doing it the same way. That's all. You can't transition the same way every single episode. We'll get bored. So you got to keep us on our toes. Yeah. But first, before we get to it, they almost forgot to do an opening quote, but JJ is on the job. She won't let them get away with that. So she's going to give the quote this week. <laughs> uh, she says, legendary basketball coach John Wooden said, it's not so important who starts the game, but who finishes it. The answer to that is JJ. JJ go to finish it. <laughs> That's right. So a local policeman is uh, there at the house when the uh, team arrives, uh, Sergeant Sykes, but you can call me Tom. So we got his name, AJ, so I immediately assume he's going to be important to the case. <laughs> but he uh, he doesn't really think these girls are missing. It's really not the kind of thing that happens around here in this town. And uh, Gideon's like, well, you'd be surprised how many times we, we've heard that. Um, he's been through the house. Sykes says nothing seems out of place. They haven't located Brooke's father yet, but that's not unusual. He's uh, he's a lawyer. He's always out of town on business. Gideon is looking at a sign on a fence across the street that says November and says November third. That's tomorrow. And the cop is like, "Oh yeah, state championship football game." And he looks very proud as he says, "North Mammon's finally back in it." Uh, then he goes to show them inside the house. It's like the town seems a little obsessed, which you know a lot of these small towns. Uh, Pennsylvania, Texas, Florida, you definitely get this, like you said, the Friday night lights feel like the, the, this is everything. This can bring a town together. So certainly uh, a little less in, in New Jersey, although there are some pretty good teams here. Uh, a lot less in, like, say, New York. All right. <laughs> <laughs> so now we cut to uh, Hotch and JJ. They're arriving at the police station and they introduce themselves to another cop who was identified. It's Chief Yates. And uh, so, again, he's identified. He has a name. He must be important. Uh, I'm learning my criminal minds lessons as we go along. Exactly. If they, if they say, hi, I'm this, then it's going to be a lot more than uh, you guys do it and I'll just be here and, uh, you know, that won't help at all. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So uh, the chief sees that they're with uh, Mrs. Homefelt. So he tells her, uh, why don't you go inside, uh, relax for a minute, we'll be there in a minute. So she takes off and Hotch says, uh, you don't seem to have much of a case file yet here. And he says he can't get anyone to agree that the girls are missing. 
And JJ's like, well, Mrs. Homefelt believes it. But the chief says, well, don't put too much stock into what she thinks because she cray cray. Uh, she <laughs> she suffers from depression. I've heard she's even on medication. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Not medication. <laughs> yes. uh, and JJ's like, well, didn't she raise Polly on her own after her husband abandoned her 12 years ago? Uh and he's like, yeah. And she says, uh, if that was you, don't you think you'd be a little depressed? And the chief is like, touche. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, and, and the chief is like, yeah, okay, well, you try you try getting out of Scientology after 15 years and spending your entire life's fortune and see how you feel. Oh, wait, sorry, I'm projecting. That's just me, the actor. <laughs> <laughs> so Hotch is like, hey, if you aren't sure they were taken, why even ask for help? And uh, he says, if something bad did happen, they're going to need all the help they can get. Plus, have you met JJ? <laughs> <laughs> um, and she she gives kind of a quick little take there, almost like a, did I do that kind of uh, uh, look. And uh, the chief says, you know, Kelly's parents are in the station. Uh, again, he mentions they can't track down Brooke's father, Pete. And he also says, look. These are these are good people. They're my neighbors. They're, they're good people. He doesn't want anyone assuming they're involved. And Hodge says, look, we just got here. We're not assuming anything. So next we cut to back to the scene of the crime or the chamber's house. And uh, Morgan is telling the sergeant, look, he's right. It doesn't look like anything is amiss here. Meanwhile, Gideon is doing his normal thing and staring at like a picture slash trophy ch- shelf of uh, Brooks. And uh, just in his head. And Morgan says, look, if these girls were taken, they really complied pretty fast with this guy. Uh, Reed says there's only two ways to get compliance without using force. Either the threat of force or some kind of previously established trust. And Morgan says, look, this thing took a lot of planning. He knew detailed information about these girls, like when Brooke's father would be out. And he knew that the girls would have to leave messages. So Reed says, yep, we're talking about a a close family friend or a stalker. And the sergeant says, look, folks out here, look after one another. There's no way any outsider could have stalked these girls without being noticed. And Gideon says, then we have to assume that the people who took the girls were members of this community. Uh, And then he's looking out of the window, a little like park across the street, and he's saying... But he would have needed a spot to watch her from. <laughs> That's Gideon always looking out windows and staring off into the distance and finding these spots. I think normally I don't like when they split the local cop role up into two different people. I'd prefer it just be one mm-hmm. one point person. But I really like the fact that we have the two different people here because you have so the, you know this sergeant going. It couldn't possibly be an outsider because we didn't know this. We just came from the scene where the chief was like, it couldn't be possibly one of us. It has to be an outsider. And I just love that dichotomy. Right. Always like, yeah, okay, exactly. You guys are too close to this case. <laughs> exactly. Yes. We do cut back to the police station and uh, Kelly's parents are there, the Seymours, asking Hotch if they should expect a ransom demand. But Hotch says the kidnappers that want money would have contacted the family and given proof that the victims were alive, he wouldn't have them call to conceal that fact. Uh, and Mr. Seymour is like, kidnappers? Are we sure they haven't just run off? <laughs> um, Least caring parent in the world. 
Hotch is like, you know, those phone messages were clearly scripted. And Mr. Seymour starts to go into some inane explanation that the girls were soccer players and this is a football town. Uh, Their son is on the football team. All we really care about is football and probably that didn't sit right with Kelly. And Mrs. Seymour is like, "Uh, of course it wouldn't, you knucklehead. Should she should she be happy that you aren't that important to her? And he's like, hey, I didn't say that. And uh, we all learn in an important parenting lesson here. <laughs> Mr. Seymour is still like, look, she'll be back after the game. Mrs. Seymour starts crying and the uh, chief escorts them off to his office for some tissue. And I would suggest some couples therapy. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, what? There's a football game. <laughs> She's probably just jealous. Like, have you even attended a soccer game of your daughter's? Well, no. <laughs> so uh, next we cut to Gideon and Morgan and the sergeant in that little park across the street from the chamber's house. And they're saying you can clearly see the house's windows from here. And then Gideon finds a bunch of cigarette butts in a pile. So it looks like someone was clearly there watching, smoking cigarettes and littering. And uh, (laughs) And we won't stand for littering. (laughs) That's right. And uh, Reed phones up Garcia, uh, is uncomfortable, as usual, with her banter. And uh, he lets her know that they're sending in some butts that they need rushed in for DNA analysis. And Garcia is not going to leave that alone. She's like, oh, Reed, I love it when you say butts. Send it here. Bang, bang for now is her goodbye. And uh, he hangs up and he just looks perplexed because. Yeah, I mean, it, it's always interesting when they have the, the close cases. I mean, you know, Pennsylvania, not too far away from D.C. So well, we'll just physically take this evidence and get it to you as quickly as possible. You can take a car and drive it there. And, you know, that, that's fine. As opposed to like if this case was in Portland, Oregon, you know, be like, uh, we got some butts, but uh, I guess we'll. Not call you, sorry, Hickler. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, so uh, the sergeant is asking Gideon if he really thinks someone from town could be involved in this. And Gideon points out that he himself said that an outsider would have been noticed. Sergeant Yates then gets a call on his cell phone and he's like, what? But we don't really immediately hear what this is about yet. We cut to Hotch and JJ at the station and they pass a wall that's full of Football pictures, memorabilia, newspaper clippings, and the like. And Hotch says it looks like Chief Yates got himself a title back in the day. They do love their football. And JJ's like, don't, don't you think? And uh, Hotch is, she says, it's almost like a religion here. And Hotch says, don't you think it's strange that they have three girls missing and no one is really talking about canceling the game tomorrow night? And JJ's like, oh, it's football. Don't you know they can play it without girls? <laughs> uh, JJ's awesome. JJ's the best. I think we just have to once again say, uh, at least as far as us concerned here at Polonius Pundits, JJ's the best. <laughs> yep, definitely. Uh, Chief Yates comes by and lets them know, uh, I guess, what that call was about. They just found Brooke's car and it's been abandoned. You mean they weren't on a trip? <laughs> Oh, no. We cut to the girls in their torture chamber. They're cold. They're hungry. Kelly's being kind of a bitch. Um, Hate to say it, but she is. Brooke has like a fever and Kelly's complaining 
Kelly's like, complaining about it won't matter. Um, the girls start arguing, and Brooke is like, guys, this is what he wants. Maybe that was Polly. Let me switch back to Polly's like, guys, this is what he wants. They wonder how long they've been down there. And Brooke says he doesn't want us to know. He wants to break us down. It's called sensory deprivation. And Kelly's like, well, it's not going to work. You hear me, you son of a bitch? It's not going to work. And Brooke's like, yes, it will. If he doesn't give us water and food, uh, it'll work. <laughs> uh, we could die down here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it, it, you know, it is interesting because they, they're all dressed the same at this point. They're, you know, just kind of says gray tanks and, and shorts and their hair, although, although they're different, they're not that different. You know, they're they're three white girls from a, a small town. They kind of look identical, even though you can tell them apart. But like you, you're having trouble figuring out who's saying it. What I lost track, too, of what their names were, too, which is that one, that one and that one. Like, you know, you, if you're watching it, you can kind of tell them apart. But I could not track this entire episode. Was that Brooke, Kelly, po- Kelly, Polly, Polly? Brooke? I, it doesn't really matter. Beyonce? <laughs> I mean, I, they, they, they <laughs> oh, Beyonce? Look, if we got to choose, we choosing Beyonce. <laughs> but it's like, oh, here comes the unsub. Formation! Uh, <laughs> I got the baseball bat. Uh, yeah, I, it's just, you know, to me, it's like, it, it's saying something that, even though they do have personalities and we can kind of tell them apart, it doesn't really matter. <laughs> to the town, it doesn't matter what the differences are between these girls. And to us watching, they don't give us enough so that we can really tell the difference between these girls. You know, until, until you know, it becomes, oh, it's the sick one, the bitchy one, and the other one. <laughs> right. The sort of kind one. But, it, like, it, yeah, it, it, it's, it's interesting that they don't give them really distinct personalities other than that stereotype. Right. We uh, next come back, AJ, to an industrial-looking area. They're investigating Brooke's car. It's quite dusty, clearly been there for a while. Like you said, there goes the road trip theory. Uh, it was left in town in a spot where it would be found eventually. They also find a Devils football team cap in their car. It has the initials KE on it, and the sergeant says, Could be Kip Engler. He's the quarterback. And he and Brooke were an item. <laughs> Do you think he was involved? And uh, so Gideon asks if he was at the pep rally, and he was. So Gideon doesn't think he was involved, but now he does know the kind of person that they're looking for. Yeah, and also we had, we had heard at the very first scene of the episode that they had recently broke up. So uh, there's that split second of, ooh, maybe it's the Gemma's ex-boyfriend, but again... Everybody was at this pet rally. We saw them. We saw the whole team there. You, they would have noticed if the star quarterback <laughs> suddenly went yeah. missing at the 13-0 pep rally. Hey, what happened to Kip? <laughs> and why is he still wearing his baseball hat? None of us are wearing our baseball hats. <laughs> is he going somewhere with that? <laughs> hey, Kip, you're back. Where's your baseball hat? I, I don't know why this is important. It's not at all, but it just flashed into my head that uh, wasn't Tom Hanks in, in Bosom Buddies, wasn't his character named Kip or was that Peter Scalari? <laughs> uh, they All right, were, they anyway. were Kip and Henry. I can tell you that much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> anyway, we cut <laughs> to the profile powwow and uh, the team is explaining, 
you know, normally at this amount of time, we'd expect the girls to be dead. That doesn't seem to be the case there. So clearly our unsub has something planned for Friday night, probably during the football game. They are certain that the unsub is from this community. As they're saying that, a man is walking into the station and he says, "Uh, how do you know that? And Gideon looks at him and says, because, Mr. Chambers, you didn't receive a message from your daughter. He knew you'd be out of town. He knew eventually the car would be found. Everything points to him giving himself time. And Mr. Chambers, because it is Mr. Chambers, (laughs) is like, time for what? And Gideon's like, we don't know yet. JJ walks over to Mr. Chambers to calm him down a bit and take him away because like he really shouldn't be at the powwow and maybe they shouldn't hold it right at the front near the front door where anybody- <laughs> yeah there's that there's the fact that he's really really overly angry at this point having been away for uh, almost a week so like maybe dude this isn't the first impression you want to give the cops but how about we talk to you a little bit because we have to ask you questions anyway and on top of that look we got this whole budget for dissolvey trickery on the cameras that we got to do and we can't get to it to get out of here but <laughs> exactly. So they go back to the uh, the profile. Predatory abductors like this are intelligent, patient, and cautious. They like to watch everything, the victims, the families, the police, probably watching us now, may attempt to inject himself into this investigation. Uh, Gideon starts going off on how they also know that predatory abductors prepare a nest before they take their victims like a remote cabin, an underground bunker of some kind, a secret, secure place that only he will have access to. It's designed to confine and conceal the prey once his hunting is done. And uh, the chief says, well, should we be looking for this nest? And Reed says, well, they'll never find it. Then we cut to Reed (laughs) standing in front of a house of some kind, a different house, not a house we've seen before in this episode, and it looks like he's narrating maybe a true crime series or something. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> Hi, Robert Stack. Welcome to Unsolved Mysteries. Yes, he says, uh, For his nest, predatory abductor John Jamelski built a sophisticated dungeon complex under a suburban Syracuse home. Shout out, Orangeman. Uh, yeah, just just <laughs> Orange, thank you very much, because girls can play sports too, can Todd. Listen to JJ. You're right. You're right. <laughs> I'm just an old person that says what he learned back in the day. But yes, you are correct. Uh, But anyway, this is where Jamelski documented every detail of the torture on the victims that he kept there for three years. And we're seeing all sorts of disturbing imagery behind this. I'm not even going to get into it. I hate when they do this because I I get that they're trying to make an exposition interesting by having a visual element but i just hate when like because there's a woman victim in this in this montage and she kind of looks up at reed and reed kind of looks at her and notices her and i'm like come on stop this nonsense (laughs) oh how i agree uh so he says uh reed says the man that kidnapped these girls has a relationship or a job that allowed him to get close enough to these girls to watch them i think we've already gotten that point but okay um Again, they say, we need to focus on those people that had access, a family member, a teacher, a neighbor. Often it's, the, you know, just like the cliche, it's the person you least suspect. You know, and, and, and I got to say, every single time someone like Gideon is in front of the room saying it's the person you least suspect, even though I know it's not the case, I always go, it's Gideon. Gideon did it. 
<laughs> He's the person I least suspect right now. <laughs> now that would be a shocker. That 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 would be a shocking episode. Gideon does say we're looking for a person who wasn't at the pep rally. That's an important point they have to make. Yes, there, there. 15, 15 minutes of a scene that distilled down to uh, it's someone who wasn't at the pep rally. <laughs> yes. So if you go through the videotapes of the pep rally, and apparently there's multiple people videotaping this 50-person pep rally. <laughs> Probably had more camera people than people at the pep rally. <laughs> But uh, go through that, and that way you can eliminate some suspects from from the townsfolk. Meanwhile, Reed is getting a phone call, and also JJ is coming in at the same time saying she's uh, uh, sorry, but Mr. Chambers just took off on her. She doesn't know where he went. Reed is done with his call. He says that was Garcia. She uh, got the information on the cigarette butts. She got a name, DNA match, uh, Donald Haas. The chief says, oh, wait, that's the girl's soccer coach. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. And again, <laughs> it, it, like, why, why, why are we, why are we doing it in this, this way here? Again, announcing it into the air. I mean, I know that, that he's already gone. Chambers has already taken off there. But so, <laughs> but you announce it into a room like where anyone could walk in right now and say, yeah, Don Haas, he's our main suspect, everybody. Yeah. Gideon does ask the chief. This this well, I'll explain it later. But this part is kind of annoying to me. Gideon asked the chief if he was at the rally. Uh, the chief says he doesn't remember seeing him there. Kind of confirms that with the sergeant, who also doesn't remember seeing him there. Uh, so Gideon says, "Well, then, where could we, could he be now? Where would he be now?" Uh, we cut to now? Coach. <laughs> we cut to Coach Haas, and he's talking to the soccer team. Trying to give them an inspirational message, despite the fact that three of their teammates are missing. <laughs> and he's like, you know, Polly, Brooke and Kelly would want you guys to be strong. They'd want your prayers. All of a sudden, out of nowhere, Mr. Chambers comes up behind Coach Haas, hits him in the back of the legs with a crowbar. The coach goes down. All the girls start screaming. Mr. Chambers is like, where's my daughter, you son of a bitch? And he's hitting him with the crowbar. And he says, uh, I get your charges dropped, and this is what you do to me? Which is an interesting revelation. All of a sudden, BAU is there, and Morgan gets to do a flying tackle <laughs> on, <laughs> uh, on Mr. Chambers and uh, telling him to take it easy. And Chambers is saying, he did it before in Pittsburgh. He was arrested. I got him off. And uh, so they arrest Chambers because you can't go around hitting people with a crowbar. <laughs> it's generally frowned upon i mean at least he didn't litter <laughs> yes um hotch turns to morgan he's like they're all turning on each other <laughs> uh i it shouldn't make me laugh um it is sad they're all turning on each other uh, again we laugh because of, of the ridiculousness of some of the dialogue and some of the plot not because of the the kidnapping and or any of that stuff right uh, we cut back to the girls in the dungeon. Polly is uh, comforting Brooke, who's in the corner, saying she's hungry. She's shivering. Polly is trying to calm her down. She brings up some soccer memories. Uh, meanwhile, Kelly's at the door. She's saying there's got to be a way to get this guy to come down. 
Brooke says he's not coming down, and Kelly's still being bitchy, saying, some of us are looking for solutions, Brooke. (laughs) 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 Polly reminds Kelly, hey, she's sick. And Kelly mocks that and just says, well, what about me? I'm sick. I'm sick of trying to come up with a plan. While little Miss Perfect over here just whines. I'm like, damn, how you really feel, girl? (laughs) (laughs) Brooke whispers to Polly, because Polly's now standing over, I mean, Kelly. uh, That's what I'm saying. These (laughs) names are interchangeable. These girls are interchangeable. It's really, it's meanie, sicky, and the other one. Third one. (laughs) (laughs) So, sicky whispers to the nicer one because Meanie is at the door and she says, Kelly obviously has a plan. And the Polly is like, well, why hasn't she told us? And Brooke looks at her and she's like, because I'm not sick enough yet. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, damn. Yeah. Uh, you know, she, she, uh, she's on the ball. She's going to kill me. Don't you see it, girl? <laughs> Mm-hmm. She's not gonna. She, her name. Her name is what Kelly. She not. She gonna choo choo choose herself, just like on nine hundred two All sorts of pop culture references today, folks. Uh, we cut to a garbage truck outside a motel, and we see a garbage man. He's going to a the trash bin. Uh, he finds something in the bin. He holds it up to show it to his buddy driving the truck. And it's a girl's soccer uniform. Uh-oh. Indeed. Although, uh, uh-oh in one sense, but not uh-oh because, I mean, we know the girls where they are. We know that they're alive at the present. So, yay, actually, because we're getting a clue. If you think about it. Yeah. Yeah. Good point. Uh, I didn't think about it. So I was just like, uh-oh. I mean, it's but- not like a severed <laughs> hand or something. Like, you know, this, this could help us at this point. Yes. Good. You're right. And so now we we cut to uh, Gideon interrogating Coach Haas, who's wondering what's up with Pete. He's like, like I had something to do with this. That's crazy. Uh, do you mind if I smoke? And Gideon's like, yes. <laughs> so, so he doesn't smoke. Um, but Gideon says, uh, you smoke Morley one Morley one hundreds, AJ. Morley one hundreds. Morley one hundreds. That well known word by name. Well, it's 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 the, it's the cigarette smoking man on X Files. It's the Morleys are like big big uh, big television cigarette. Yeah. So he's like, uh, yeah, I do. And Gideon says, well, we found thirteen uh, Morley one hundred cigarette butts with your DNA on them across the street from the Chambers house. Coach Haas just looks perplexed. He starts saying, look, this is a mistake. Uh, He smoked those cigarettes, sure, but he didn't leave them there. And Gideon's like, well, who did? And he's like, how the hell should I know? (laughs) Basically. (laughs) Which I like because if you're you're innocent, yeah, you're like, what do you mean? How how do I know? I don't – that if if you are guilty and you're saying that, that's playing it the right way, I think. Compared to some people that would try some other tactic here, yeah, I, trying to trying to implicate somebody. I mean, I think the, po- the point being is that we're going to see, we've already seen over a couple of uh, you know episodes, uh, second season here, and throughout the course of the series, we're going to see all different tactics done by people, and some are innocent, some are guilty. It's like you just want to have it be a genuine reaction, <laughs> whatever it is. Right. 
it, it doesn't really matter which which angle they take as long as Gideon's like, yeah, no, he's not lying to me. Like, you know, that that's where you're going to come out at the end, end there. You, and you can't, in most cases, you can't fake that. Yep. We uh, cut to Morgan, who's uh, gotten over to the motel. They're just finishing up talking to the garbage men. They let them go. Uh, and a motel clerk comes up, a uh, super helpful motel clerk <laughs> comes up with the uh, motel registry. And he immediately volunteers. Uh, <laughs> Hello. Uh, I believe you asked for someone to move the plot along. Hi. How are you? I'm here. <laughs> <laughs> he immediately volunteers this information uh, that there's a name on the registry that they're not going to find in their computers when they search for him. Uh, a John Sherman. He's here once a month, pays me a hundred bucks not to say anything. Kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge. And uh, Morgan's like, you don't get an ID for this guy? And the clerk says, I, I don't have to. I know him. His real name is Chambers. Peter Chambers. Dun, dun, dun. So we cut to Hotch, who meanwhile is in the middle of questioning Chambers and Chambers is like, Don Haas kidnapped my daughter. Why are you wasting time talking to me? I'm like, maybe because you just beat him with a crowbar, dude. But uh, <laughs> Hotch is like, yeah, we're talking to him. But why do you think he did it? And Chambers said, you said it was someone from this community. He's the only person I know capable of doing something like this. He's a sex offender. Hotch says, really? His record is clean. And Chambers says, well, six years ago, Don called him from Pittsburgh. He'd been arrested arrested for soliciting an underage prostitute. And Hotch asks, well, why did he call him? And he says, he's a lawyer. We've been for th friends for 30 years. We played football together in high school. He helped him because he swore it was like a one-time thing. And then Chambers seems a little horrified to realize that he basically gave a sex offender an opportunity to work around young girls. <laughs> like the worst possible uh, occupation. And uh, he practically must have given this guy his own daughter. It, you know, it's, it reads again, it reads as genuine though. I mean, you could tell he's telling the truth here. And uh, I, I, I do like kind of the irony there that as we're going to learn that, uh, you know, Everybody in the town seems to have a secret that everybody else in the town knows, and it's kind of like a circle. No one knows everything, but everybody knows a little something. I, I do like that kind of like, oh, right. yeah, well, I, but, 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 <laughs> and it gives us a good, clear understanding of if we were wondering, since he wasn't around when we heard Haas's name mentioned, he already had a reason to suspect this guy. Yeah, I mean, because that, that was what I, one of the things I was questioning. It's like, well, he didn't hear the name. So why did he run out and get this guy immediately? Oh, because this was this was choice number one. <laughs> right. He didn't need to hear the, the name. He, he knew. <laughs> so we cut to the police conference room and Hotch is explaining that Chambers represented Haas in a, a minor sex offense and uh, got him off and the record was expunged. And uh, the chief asks, what kind of offense soliciting underage prostitution? Oh, this sounds like it could be our guy. Hotch is like, yeah, it could be. Gideon says, Haas swears that he didn't put the cigarette butts there. And Reed does question why a guy who we know to be so logical and methodical uh, in his crime, why would he leave around an obvious pile of DNA evidence, <laughs> basically? <laughs> and uh, JJ comes in and says, uh, Don Haas was at the pep rally. 
She saw him in two different tapes. Wait, wait. Which mean JJ actually did the detective work and watched the videos? Okay, just saying. <laughs> once again. Did yep. anyone bother to watch these videos? Because uh... <laughs> she looks at the chief, uh, who's all, "Oh well, I guess I must have missed him." Then. <laughs> and that's why it annoyed me earlier that that the chief and uh, the the sheriff didn't see Haas there, which I I can buy that they didn't see him there. But I feel like it was clearly just a contrivance to be able to bring him in. Yeah. Because, oh, actually he was there. Yeah, but, I mean, okay, they're not going to notice everybody at the pep rally, you know, all 50 of them. Uh, Also, (laughs) the whole timeline's a little weird because I get that they were, the three girls were not going to the pep rally. But, like, they looked like they were coming from soccer practice so maybe Haas was with them at practice, and you know there, there are ways to do it w- without being so you know over the top here in, in terms of just uh, I didn't see him at all. But, but he didn't say that either. He just said, "Well, I don't remember seeing him there." Like so, it wasn't it wasn't like an absolute. Yeah. So I guess I guess it's okay. Yeah. Also, uh, Morgan has now arrived there, and he's saying that uh, they found all three of the girls' soccer uniforms in the garbage. At the now, motel. This was weird. This was very weird because when when they find the the jersey the jerseys at the hotel, and then Mister Helpful comes over and says, "Oh, his name is, is Mister Chambers." Morgan picks up his phone and starts to dial. Like, did nobody answer? Did he not get a hold of anybody? Because he walks in here and says, "I was just at the hotel, and we found the three jerseys, and we know that Chambers is at the hotel." Like. You just called twelve. I mean, maybe they were in the interrogation room and they didn't answer their phones. But you could, you could have at least had a shot of like Hodge looking at his phone and putting it down and like, you know, yeah, just some better way of staging it. That's all. And I wouldn't be surprised if that motel was like less than a mile away from from where they were. He he just he got nobody, and he was like, "Uh, "I'll just drive over." (laughs) Exactly. Cut back to Hotch talking to Chambers. He's telling him Don Haas has an alibi. We got him on video for the night that the girls were taken. And Chambers <laughs> looks a little surprised. Oops, maybe I maybe I beat the wrong man. <laughs> yeah, you have any video of me uh, crowbarring him on the leg? Because we can uh, pretend that didn't happen too, right? <laughs> <laughs> then Hotch says, uh, so uh, by the way, you said you were in Philadelphia on business last week? Chambers is like, yeah, where are you going with this? Uh, <laughs> Hotch says, well, they found... Uh, three girls' uniforms behind the Saginaw Motel. Okay, why call it Saginaw? They're nowhere near Michigan, right, AJ? All right. Maybe it's on Saginaw Avenue. Okay. Who knows? But I do I do like Chambers' immediate reaction. Is it Hamada, 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 the what now? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, Chambers looks busted. Uh, <laughs> Hotch repeats his question. Was he in Philadelphia last week? Chambers knows that he can't go there. So he says, uh, no, uh, he admits that he was meeting a male friend there that he meets once a month. Uh, actually, he's more than a friend. This is a small town. People here are great, but they wouldn't understand. They're not they're not that great, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we get his drift. Uh, Hotch needs a name. Uh, this guy is Glenn Donahue. He lives on Rittenhouse Square with his wife and two little boys. Which means he's probably got a little money. <laughs> Rittenhouse Square is a nice part of town. <laughs> nice part of Philly. 
So then we cut to uh, before we cut to before we cut to I just I just do want to say there's there's a, a piece of non dialogue here where Hot just kind of nods, mm-hmm. which I think is just it's just really nice the reflection on Hot's character is like Hot just like oh I get it and like without even saying anything he's like yeah we'll be discreet yeah. <laughs> and we're gonna blow up this guy's spot trust you know like it's it, it's cool but I just like that not, it was just all in that little nod so sometimes when there's like little moments of acting like that I just like to point it out I thought Thomas Gibson did a really good job with that one yeah um. And it's nice that that comes from Hotch because we don't always see him being the understanding type. Uh, but yeah, and and I, I would say probably in situations like this, we would see him. Yeah, well, I think of the alternative. Gideon was sitting there, it's like, so what? You want me to take it easy on him because he's been cheating on his wife and his two kids? I don't think so. Right. <laughs> so what if I blow his life? You think you guys are okay? Okay, chill, Gideon. <laughs> <laughs> right. This is time that we wasted, and your daughter is still missing. What about your little girl? You care about the. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly. Wow, that is exactly Gideon. Uh, next, we do cut to the chief's office, and Gideon is there saying both men, both men that they have are innocent. The chief is like, "Are you sure?" And Gideon's like, "Look, the unsub planted evidence to implicate them, or as Hotch calls it, forensic countermeasures." Uh, the chief says, so we have no suspects, no evidence. We have nothing. <laughs> and Gideon, who always will say this, says, we have the behavior, the fact of the countermeasures. Who he's implicated may be as important as who the victims were. Uh, he's clearly been watching them a long time. Hotch says, we need to bring in everybody, the parents, all the people that he implicated. We need to bring everybody in have a little powwow because they're probably the key to finding this guy before it's too late. Uh, Everyone else bounces from the room except for Gideon and Hotch. And Gideon says, well, he's ahead of us. He has been all along. Then he most likely unknowingly quotes Star Wars, says he has a bad feeling about this one. And, uh, yeah, I, I I just think it's it's funny because Gideon to me in a lot of, a lot of episodes and this one in particular, as you, as you just said, he sounds a lot like a psychic who's trying to give you a reading of, of your dead relative. So, you know, oh, the fact he has a bad feeling makes me laugh because he's just like, well, here's our profile. He's this and he's this and he's this and he's this. Uh, it's not him. No. Okay. It's, he's this. He's this and this. Well, we just found it's not this. And he's like, sure. We have nothing. Ah. <laughs> but because we have nothing, that means we have something. The fact we have nothing is what we have and he's i mean he's not wrong in the spin but it just sounds like something like a psychic would say <laughs> definitely uh so we cut back now to the dungeon the torture chamber whatever you want to call it <laughs> brooke is pale laying in the corner looking barely alive and kelly and polly are having an argument because yes Kelly wants them to, to kill Brooke. <laughs> uh, she wants them to sacrifice Brooke because she's sick and clearly dying anyway. So, hey. <laughs> uh, Polly is trying to fight against this craziness, but Kelly does get her when she starts talking about, what if we never get out of here and die down here? You'll never see your mother again. And Polly's like, oh, then my mom would be totally alone. 
And remember, AJ, she's on medicine. So. <laughs> she is on medicine. <laughs> I mean, that, that, not only does that mean she can't be trusted, but it also means she can't possibly have a relationship with anyone else other than someone who already knew her before she started taking the medicine. <laughs> right. Exactly. Uh, uh, Polly looks back at, at the sick brook and she's like, I guess there's no other choice. She's going to die anyway, right? And, and Kelly's like, that's right, but we don't have to. <laughs> And and Brooke finally agrees. So Kelly yells out, hey, mister, we've made our choice. And uh, all of a sudden, he must have been like right there because two hammers are thrown into the room with them, clearly indicating that he's expecting them to do the dirty work as well. Yeah, and, and, and at least the this does cause a little bit of... Uh... Oh no, that's not what I thought you meant from from, from Polly. So <laughs> at least I was like, "Oh, I thought we were just choosing one of us." Like you know, I mean, it's bad, but like, I'm not actually going to hands on participate. <laughs> that's a horse of a different color. Yeah, and I. Uh, by the way, I know a few minutes ago, I think I called uh, Kelly Brooke or Polly, but <laughs> your point from before is well taken. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Polly doesn't look like she's down for for put, putting on the MC Hammer. And, uh, <laughs> or, or actually, these Hammer don't hurt them. <laughs> yeah. And that's why we pray. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, and then Brooke looks up. She's like, uh, what's happening? And, and Kelly is like, oh, nothing. Go back to sleep, <laughs> sweetie. <laughs> Because Kelly is, she's going to stay alive, <laughs> damn it. Uh, we zoom in on the hammers and then we cut to a commercial. We cut back and the uh, team is talking to the parents and, and Coach Haas. They've got them all gathered together. Again, they're explaing for, I feel like, the 9,000th <laughs> time this episode... Look, it's probably someone you know. <laughs> we need you to help out here. It's probably someone you all have in common, someone who fits this description. And Mr. Seymour is like, don't you think if we knew who or why or any of this, we would have told you? And Mrs. Homefelt is like, hey, please just let him talk. And he's like, I'm going to take advice from someone on mental medication. <laughs> and she's like, what? And, and. And then Mrs. Seymour, she's in on it. She's like, everybody knows, Judy. You're on mental medication. <laughs> and Gideon is <laughs> And Gideon's just like, can we please stay focused here? Uh, <laughs> cut back to what appears to be a cellar door getting opened by our unsub. Really somber music is playing. We It's kind of slow motion here. Girls are walking out of, two girls come out wrapped in blankets, blood on their faces. First, we see uh, clearly that it's Polly. Then we don't exactly see the second girl yet, but it's it's got to be Kelly, right, AJ? Well, I mean, it's got to be Kelly, except for the fact they do such a job of hiding this face and so obviously showing us the first face that I don't think this twist is going to land exactly the way they want it to. <laughs> exactly! <laughs> Clearly, <laughs> don't show us both girls' faces. 
and maybe that'll leave us. Oh, okay. Who could it, who could this be? But if you're showing that one is clearly Polly and you're not showing, okay. Anyway, (laughs) then then again, uh, as I've been saying, these three are interchangeable in many ways. So it's like, am I really paying attention that closely? No, probably not. If I'm watching, Oh, the, the two of them who said we chose are, are being released. Yay. <laughs> I guess. Yeah. I guess it's a yay. Yay. Uh, we cut back to uh, everybody arguing at the police station and the parents and the coach are all arguing with each other uh, amongst themselves. They're blaming each other for their, their circumstances. Uh, all the dirty laundry is being aired. And Morgan is just like, hey, can can we keep this symbol? Um, cut back to Polly walking in slow motion in her blanket. We see don't we still don't see the other one's face. They're being ushered into the backseat of a car. Cut back to the parents still arguing. Everybody's dirty laundry still coming out. Peter arguing with the Seymours, telling them that Haas didn't do it. And the Seymours saying, Well, they know what was going on in that motel room. <laughs> and and Mrs. Seymour turns out to be just as bad as her daughter in terms of the bitchiness department, saying, uh, yeah, maybe this is God's punishment. Uh, they are just horrible, horrible yeah. people. Kelly's parents are horrible apple tree, not far, fall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh Chambers saying is saying, well, at least I didn't spend the week my daughter was missing, focusing on my son in some damn football game, <laughs> uh, which hit harder to me than than uh, Mr. Seymour's reply. Well, 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 yeah, we know what you were doing. <laughs> we know what your focus was, that buddy. <laughs> yeah. We cut to another shot of the girls being driven. We cut back to the family fighting, and finally, J.J. has had enough. She's done with them. Look, you all are doing just what he wants you to do. He's attacking you all, turning you against each other. Your daughters are best friends. You've known each other as friends most of your whole lives. Don't let this man beat you this way. Uh, They look to each other, and finally, surprisingly, Mr. Seymour is the one who's like, okay, what should we do? And JJ is like, you need to listen to these agents. They came to help. Let them do that. Uh, we cut also, meanwhile, to the girls being let out of the car. Again, we see only Polly. She's being let out of the car with a shell-shocked expression on her face. She has little flecks of blood on her face. The uh, unsub turns on a cell phone, puts it in her hand. She is looking straight as, at him. Uh, and then he walks away. Uh, we don't see his face, but she, Polly, clearly could right there. Hot starts telling the family that families that they're going to split him up. They're going to talk to him, basically try to break it down, figure out who they could possibly be suspecting. But all of a sudden, there's an urgent call from Garcia. She interrupts them. They put her on speakerphone. <laughs> Which, okay, uh, why are we putting Garcia on speakerphone in front of all the families right there? Why did she call the police station? And, and maybe they set this up because when Morgan called, that you know maybe their phones just aren't working or Gideon and Hutch forgot their phones or something because like Morgan couldn't get through earlier either. But like seriously, Ser- we got we got to make this announcement in front of everybody. 
Yeah, I mean, imagine if the news was, Mr. Seymour did it. <laughs> you know, like, come on, be be careful here. Uh, but they put her on speakerphone, and she tells them that Brooke's phone has just come back online. They got a trace and a location, downtown North Mammon, within 100 meters of the intersection of Main Street and 1st. Why, J- AJ, that's right where they are. The cars are coming from inside the station. <laughs> they all rush outside. After looking around a corner, they spot them. Hotch immediately grabs Morgan and tells them to keep the parents back because he sees that there's only two girls there. <laughs> Morgan goes with some cops. They hold the parents back from turning the corner. We want to see. We want to see. Yeah, you can. We want to see. We want to see. Don't stand so close to my behind, mister. <laughs> I know what you're up to. <laughs> JJ runs up. She recognizes Polly, says, are you all right? Hotch notices she's bleeding. The other girl looks up and says, it's not her blood. And Gideon confirms it for us. The other girl is Brooke, AJ. What? <laughs> Sickly little Brooke apparently was well enough to walk out of that dungeon. But we don't know what happened. Not. And it's a shame that we're never going to find out. We're never going to catch the unsub. And I mean, the girls are safe and that's great. But that's it. End of episode. AJ, there's more. What? We come back from what should have been the end, but it was just a commercial break. (laughs) And uh, Hotch is talking to Polly, asking if she knows who did this. Gideon has uh, Brooke in another room. He's calling her a hero for getting through this ordeal. JJ goes out to get some water and all the folks out there want to know what's going on. Did she say where Kelly was? JJ says, look, we're working on it. Uh, Mr. Seymour stops JJ from leaving, says something has occurred to him. Uh, The fact that they all played football together, Peter, Don, him, even Chief Yates, they were all on the last championship football team. That does seem to strike a chord for JJ, who mentions again that the championship game is that night. And she walks up to the picture of the wall of the 84 Devils football team. We cut to Hotch asking Polly if she knows where Kelly Seymour and she doesn't answer. But JJ comes in and asks Hotch if she can talk to Polly because she's clearly the superstar this week. Uh, Hotch lets her because he's finally realized that she is the superstar. That's right. Uh, No, he doesn't doesn't even hesitate for a second. It's like, yeah, go ahead, try it. it." He wasn't getting through at all. She was still comatose. Like, I'm willing to try anything at this point. Go. And, uh, JJ lets uh, Polly know that she grew up in East Allegheny, which wasn't too far from where they are. And she basically gets on this girl's side by, you know, pointing out how much she's like her, basically. Um, Finally, she mentions her mom and how her mom was a hero who carried her picture all the way up to Quantico and made them basically take this case. Um, So no matter what's happened in the last six days, no matter what you've gone through, that will just be a memory. What you will always have is your mother that loves you. And this is getting through to her. JJ shows her the picture of the 84 football team, says, look at the the picture and point at the man who did this to you. So Polly starts to look at the picture. 
We cut over to Brooke. She's crying while she's talking to Gideon. She's saying, we were so hungry, so thirsty, so cold. And then we flash to a a scene of Polly and Kelly arguing over the fact that they're supposed to kill Brooke. And Kelly is arguing. And apparently she's seen the movie (laughs) Alive. She starts talking about, remember that soccer team who crashed in the Andes? And basically, they had to eat at each other. We're in a soccer they team, what they so had we got to gotta become cannibals as well. Uh, <laughs> exactly. Before she gets much further, bam, she is smashed in the back of the head with a hammer by Brooke, who apparently <laughs> didn't like how this conversation was going. <laughs> and uh, apparently felt well enough to do something and, about and, and, it. And it. And it was it was it was a nice um, touch that this Brooke entire scene was in black black and white, but the blood is bright red, and of course that just means they slush in those lists. But nevertheless, yes, the blood is bright red, and it does stand out. I mean, it, yes. it, it makes an impact. Yep, Brooke is crying, and Gideon is saying, "So you killed her," and Brooke says, "She didn't have a choice. They were going to kill her, but it was not Polly's fault. It was his fault. He's the one that made him, them choose." And Gideon asks who. Brooke says she never saw him. Cut to Polly, who's also saying he made us choose. And she points out his picture. Someone on the football team. And Morgan recognizes him, actually. Because it's the garbage man okay, from the motel no. that found the soccer <laughs> uniforms. I know we're running out of time in the episode. And I know the reveal is going to be that he's the garbage man. <laughs> Which is just kind of ironic. Oh, what kind of garbage person would do this? Oh, I see. (laughs) But there is no way Morgan would look at the picture of high school-aged garbage man and instantly go, oh, it's the garbage man. We we needed one scene. We pointed it out. And have one of the sheriffs in there go, oh, that's, you know, that's Marcus Younger. He's... Like they, they're going to do that scene yeah. in the next scene anyway, but don't have Morgan figure out if the garbage man right here because that doesn't make any sense. Yeah, and he doesn't really. Look He's got like a him, totally to different hairstyle, curly hair, young. Well, younger. <laughs> younger. <laughs> now, here's the other thing I will criticize. I mean, you know, kudos to JJ figuring it all out. Oh, he's probably on the team. I'm going to show the picture. The girl will pick. It. JJ's an all a rock star. I couldn't get over the fact. That this is the high school team state championship photo. There are only 23 people on this team? <laughs> you start 11. I mean, yeah, some kids play both ways, but 23 people on this team? My son's high school has probably 1,400 people at it. There's 75, 80 people on the sidelines for a high school football game. Most of them freshmen who are never going to see the people. 23 people. Once again, folks, AJ, <laughs> getting into the weeds, getting into those details that you did not notice. <laughs> and we find out that, well, I guess they only needed 22 to win the state championship. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, Morgan is talking to the chief, asking who this guy is. As you said, it's Marcus Younger, who's the star of the team. But unfortunately, he blew his knee out in the championship game and lost a full ride scholarship to Notre Dame. Which could conceivably happen, although, uh, you know, not if he could never play again, certainly that would 
cause him to lose the scholarship. I, most schools, I think, if if he's already signed it, would still let him go to the school. You know, if they've already signed the deal, or work, they'd work something out, help him rehab. Maybe he'd come back, you know, redshirt his freshman year or anything. He's walking. We see him walking. He doesn't have a noticeable limp or anything, so it's not like they had to amputate or something. I, I, I get it. It's just a little simple. Right. So, uh, AJ, they rush out to his place. Morgan gets to kick in the door. So yes, he's got his, he got a flying tackle and a door kick. So I'm happy. He's happy. Check, check. <laughs> uh, wait, no, wait. It's the three. It's the three things that Morgan does every episode when he when he can. Flying tackle, knocking the door, and start the show. Going. Why are we calling in again? <laughs> Why is that? Um, I'm not sure I want to go on this case unless I. Okay, I guess. <laughs> uh. So. They clear the house. Nobody's in the house. They find the so- the storm cellar. They find the little torture chamber room, which, by the way, has a door that's maybe three feet, four feet high. <laughs> so yeah. they have to duck down to get into it. And Mr. Younger is in there uh, just sitting, staring. Kelly's body is sprawled out on the floor. Uh, and he's saying, hey, I never touched them. I never hurt her. I never even came into the room. They did this, Brooke and Polly. All I did was show them who they really are, what they were truly capable of, people pretending to be decent. When it came down to it, they reacted just like I knew they would. They turned on each other. Just like when I got hurt and you all turned on me, took my position, took my life. He's talking directly to the chief at this point. You don't know what it's like, Jeff. You all have lives and I just cleaned up after you. Now you get to clean up after me. Oh, poor baby. <laughs> and Gideon has got a moment to show his absolute disgust. Get him out of here. <laughs> uh, and so Morgan and the chief uh, take Younger away. And Gideon stays behind and like kneels on the, the floor with the body of what was once Kelly. And just almost this little prayer. Like, you know, definitely... It starts mourning. Uh, I think that's something that we see a lot from Gideon is that he takes these cases very, very seriously. And when he saves the people, he's over the moon. And when they, when we don't save the people, he takes it very, very to heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, we cut back to the BAU jet heading home. Again, they could have drove, but yeah, okay. They're, they took the jet. Yeah, and again, an- another case where we didn't see the jet. The yeah. Like you know, we could we can drive the DNA samples. But okay, whatever. <laughs> I even thought I could be wrong, but for some reason it looked like a different jet to me. But okay, they have a couple of different uh, stock footage that they use, but it's presumably they have but the one <laughs> right. So uh, JJ gives us our closing quote: "The ultimate choice for a man, in as much as he is given to transcend himself, is to create or destroy." To love or to hate. Eric Fromm. Uh, Everybody on the jet seems to be asleep, but JJ and Hotch comes to join her saying, can't sleep. (laughs) And she says, uh, you can't imagine the pressure that a small town creates to play, to win, everyone pushing, everyone watching. I hated it. Hotch asks her why she played. And she says, athletic scholarship, only way out, trying to get to a good college, only way out of town. 
And besides, having a thick skin when it comes to pressure is good for our line of work, right? Hotch is kind here, says you did exceptional work in the last couple of days. I'm like, that's right. I'm like, last couple <laughs> of days, have you been paying attention, Hotch? But, uh, <laughs> but uh, JJ's like, yeah, it's nice to be noticed. And Hotch does admit that it doesn't happen too much. And JJ's like, well, that's not why she does it. And uh, Hotch asks if she's ever thought about taking the classes, becoming a profiler herself. But it's not her thing. She likes being the one that the family can turn to or the one that the overworked homicide detective feels like he can call when he runs out of leads. And Hotch says, really? I thought everyone wanted to be a profiler. <laughs> and if this were a sitcom that where they they both chuckle and the and the screen would freeze, you know. JJ, yeah, JJ just says sorry, and yes, we should note it. Hotch does actually laugh and smile uh, in this scene. One more point for JJ. <laughs> <laughs> uh, she grabs some case files. Uh, she's got to figure out what they're going to work on next. And Hotch is like, wait, I thought we made all those decisions. And JJ's like, sure you do. Uh, so Hotch just kind of still laughs and, and goes to get some sleep. JJ takes another look at the picture of her with her soccer chums from back in the day. And she s- smiles to herself. And the episode is over. Yeah, a very strong episode for Jennifer Giroux, uh get a lot of backstory on, on her life and kind of showing finally that at least somebody is recognizing that she is the true star of the BAU. Yeah, I thought it was a, a very good episode. And I know that I feel like that when I go, oh, it's over already. That did not feel like 48 minutes or whatever the length of the uh, episode is. Uh, and this one was like that. Yeah, there's there are some definite definite slogs throughout the course of, of the seasons, and uh, you sit there and you go, okay, what? Thirty two minutes <laughs> <Yeah>. left. <laughs> but here it was like you know I usually you know there's there's a point especially because I know how much in my head is left. A lot of, but even this one, I was like, ah, oh, five minutes left. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> So, how about the uh, barometer? We're going to pull that out each week. That's the time we look at the show and ask ourselves uh, an important question about the BAU team. Did they win for the week? AJ? Did they win this week? Yes. Uh, heading into this episode, the season's record is 3-2-1. and one. Uh, I guess they will not be making the playoffs like our 13-0 and 0 North Mammon Devils. <laughs> but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, I have to call this one a draw. Um, now, it's not their fault that only two out of the three girls survived, and they did ultimately apprehend the unsub. But really, did they solve anything in this case? <laughs> I mean, they yes, they were called in two days uh, to go, but they never really nailed down the suspect at all. And the only reason they were able to identify the suspect is because he released the girls and they were able to identify him. Yeah. Uh, this guy was clearly, he didn't, he didn't care about getting caught. He was looking to, he knew he was going to get caught. So if BAU team hadn't been involved at all, I mean, it might've been a little bit later, but 
they would have eventually found him. Same, the same thing would have happened. Uh, one can mostly assume, I guess. Yeah, I mean, at best, you can say they prevented the town from destroying each other uh, by by accusing <laughs> you know everyone accusing their neighbor and then going off on a crowbar spree. So uh, yeah. I can't blame them, but I also can't give them credit for for the the catch here. So uh, we'll, we'll call it a push. Uh, yeah, we'll call it a push. Okay, sounds good. Uh, also, every week, AJ, we like to have a little quiz inspired by this week's episode. Let's do that. Yes, let's. Uh, my other podcast that I do is Beat My Guests. They do a lot of trivia there, and I like to give a little trivia here. Uh, inspired by, uh, spun off from the episode that we have just discussed. Uh, our chief this week is played by actor Jason Begay, uh, a fine actor who's been in a million things over the years. Uh, he's possibly best known today, uh, um, surprisingly, for a like, two-and-a-half-hour interview he did after leaving the Church of Scientology. And, and discuss it. It's a fascinating interview. It's on YouTube. Just look up Jason Begay. It's like two and a half hours, but it it's it's amazing because he was deep deep into this, and it took him a long time to get out. It's it's just fascinating, and he's so honest about it. And, you know, like just just dropping f bombs left and right, like because I was an effing idiot. You know? <laughs> That's why they told me. What do you want? <laughs> wow. But uh, he in the nineties was featured in a huge story arc on a television show where he played the boyfriend of one of the regular cast members of that show. So I ask you, Kintad, what is the name of the show from the 1990s where Jason Begay played a boyfriend of one of the regulars? That's all you're giving me? (laughs) Uh. It was newsworthy. Uh, hmm. I don't remember. I, I mean, I vaguely recognized uh, this actor. I never even knew his name. But so I'm just going to go with a show <laughs> from the 90s. Uh, I have. Yeah, I don't feel like I have anything good to to uh, spark my memory on this. I'm just going to go with a random 90s show, a a boyfriend and newsworthy. Maybe those are clues that could help me. Newsworthy. What kind of show was newsworthy? A newsworthy show during the 90s was Allie McBeal, where they had the dancing baby and she was a very popular woman type of focused romantic comedy of a show. So am I going to go with that? Yes, because I'm not coming up with anything better. Allie McBeal, a fine, fine uh, guess. Not correct, unfortunately. Uh, Jason Begay was a uh, military man who was in the closet and on the down low, much like one of the plots of this episode. Uh, And he uh, was dating... Matt Fielding, played by Doug Savant, on Melrose Place when they finally decided, hey, maybe if we have 
a gay guy on the show, he should probably date people. <laughs> and so they finally gave him a boyfriend that was played by Jason Begay. And there was a storyline there on, uh, you know, don't ask, don't tell. And should he come out? Should he not? And blah, 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 blah. But they finally addressed the, you know, the elephant in the room. Uh, with with that storyline, I, I remember that storyline. Now I did watch Melrose Place. Um, I wouldn't have come up with that, but cool. There you go. It's uh, just Jason Begay, uh, because the joke at the time, of course, was yes, that, <laughs> yes. You, you pronounce his name Begay, <laughs> yes, <not> Beggy. <laughs> Got it. Uh huh. Uh, question two. Question two. I just felt like asking this because I was looking at Melrose Place. So Andrew Shue was on Melrose Place. Uh, in addition to being the brother of Elizabeth Shue, uh, actress, he also was a professional soccer player in Zimbabwe uh, before he switched over to acting. And while still on the show as one of the main cast members of Melrose Place, he actually played in the MLS. For what team did he play? Oh, that's a good question. I, I knew that he was a soccer player. Um, and even vaguely recalled that he played in the MLS. AJ, I could name two teams in the, <laughs> in the MLS. Uh, and one of them kind of changed their name. I'm going to say he played for the Red Bulls. The Red Bulls. Bulls. No, Ken Todd. <sighs> he was an actor in Los Angeles. He played for the LA Galaxy. Galaxy. Of course, that makes a lot more sense. And I didn't remember the name of the Galaxy, but as soon as you said, no, he was in Los Angeles, I remembered the name. <laughs> Dang it. Yeah, he actually, uh, if this wasn't a stunt either, like he tried out for the team and he actually was the number one guy in all their skills competitions heading into training camp. Like, they signed him kind of because he was famous and they knew he had played before, but he actually was a really good player. Uh, and and, and uh, he... As opposed to an actor. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and he played he, he played five games and uh, then he got hurt. And he had only... Mm. He only planned to play about 15 games before shooting started again on Melrose Place. And because he got hurt... He could never play again because, you know, the contract for the uh, acting was a little bit uh, more binding <laughs> than the one for the soccer team. Right. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I I mean, I shouldn't talk too bad about him, but he, no. he was not, let's say, the he, best he, actor he, on that game. He, he was, he, I mean, all right, shots fired. He was no Amy LeCain, <laughs> but... <laughs> Oh God! <laughs> hey y'all! I'm Amy Lucane. I'm I'm playing some from the South. Can't you tell, <laughs> y'all? Shout out to uh, the other Vanessa Williams. <laughs> uh, indeed, indeed. All right. Oh, for two. But hey, that's okay because we got the only one that matters. Really, my favorite part of every podcast where. The trivia question is, what are we going to be talking about next week? What is the plot of Criminal Minds Season 2, Episode 8, which is entitled Empty Planet? Empty Planet. 
And here are your choices. Is it A? A bomb goes off in Seattle, and more attacks may be on the way. Is it B? Houston, we have a problem. And that problem is the death of several astronauts in training. Is it C? The BAU heads to the Arizona desert, where skeletons of 20 to 30 women are unearthed after a sandstorm. Or is it D? What is causing teens all over a small Ohio town to commit suicide? Could it be that new album by Empty Planet? <laughs> uh, AJ, I went 0 for 3 last week. <laughs> yes, you did. And I don't feel like my odds are looking too good <laughs> uh, for getting a save this week. Uh, oh, boy. These are all all genius. All possible. <laughs> I am going to go with huh, Empty Planet. Could it be as silly as the band name is Empty Planet? It could be, but I don't think that's it. And uh, AJ, I'm going to go just based on a hunch. I'm going to go with the uh, sandstorm uncovering the 20 or so corpses, skeletons uh, in the Arizona desert. So that was, I don't remember if that was B or C, but that's the one I yeah, want to go with. It was C, but again, that, that's fine. We know which one you mean. Uh, I'm not going yeah. to ever mark you wrong on a technicality of the wrong letter. <laughs> uh, I will, however, mark you wrong when you pick the completely wrong answer, which you've done in this case. No, no. Of course Kintad, I have. Kintad, Empty Planet is about the Pacific Northwest and a bomb going off. Dang it. Criminal Minds do loves their bombs. I was actually thinking of that one, and I was going to say, wasn't the first uh, episode in Seattle? Oh, you're going to make uh, me go back to my chart. I actually have a chart. Hang on. Yes, the first episode was oh, in do. Seattle. Oh, you do. Okay. So, this is a, a, a return to uh, the Emerald City. Indeed. Indeed. Nice. Uh, and we'll see next week if they say Empty Planet during the course of the episode. They did say, we didn't go over it. Normally we say the episode title because the episode title was North Mammon and they said the town name a bazillion times. It was said right, right. a lot by a lot of people. <laughs> right. All right. Cool. Well, folks, that's this week's episode. Thank you so much for joining us. Please. We hope you had a great time. AJ. I think we have probably a dozen listeners, and I would say our goal by the end of the year, let's get that up to two dozen listeners. Oh, hey, hey now, hey now. If, if, are you saying you want as many listeners as there are on the North Mammon 84 championship team? Ex exactly. <laughs> if we can do that. So if you're listening, uh, and I would say probably out of that dozen, we we probably know personally eight to ten. But uh, if you're listening, please ask someone to uh, enjoy the show as well. Let them know about us. Maybe we can make you laugh without even having seen the episode we're talking about. Maybe you just have fun hanging out with us. Uh, also, you can write to us. We're at uh, feloniouspundits at gmail.com. Uh, 
We are threatening to start reading our first email if we don't get a second email <laughs> pretty soon. So go ahead and write to us and, and please stop us from that. Uh, or follow us on Twitter at podcast underscore pundits. Thank you so much for joining us. For AJ Mass, this is Kentad Spinsgard saying goodbye and keep profiling. Wheels up. Choose your friends with caution. Thomas S. Monson.